0: of Ruth. It can be found on page 411 in the church Bibles and also on the projector overhead. It is taken from chapter 1, verses 6 to the end. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you, as you have shown to your dead and to me. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die... I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we've already prayed that you would come. Lord Jesus, we've prayed that you would come and we know you're here Lord, we pray that through your spirit, we may understand what is in this passage for us, that each one of us might be blessed through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last Sunday, Tom introduced our series and only had five verses to deal with i still spoke for about 20 minutes. I promised to do my best on this with, uh, I think, 17 verses or so today. I just want to do a bit of a recap for anybody who missed last week or anybody whose memory isn't uh, all that perfect. So we have Naomi. Um, she's the focus of this book in many ways, uh, although Ruth, in some ways, is the star of the, of the whole book. Ruth has been in exile in Moab. You'll see on the map That Moab is over the Dead Sea from Judah, the southern part of Israel, and across the Jordan River. And last week, we saw how Naomi and her family, Elimelech, uh, her husband, and her sons-in-law had ended up in Moab because of a bad harvest in Judah. Uh, It was a bit like England and Scotland. You know, if you saw the match the other night, there was a bit of aggro going on, national anthems were mocked and so on. That was a bit like Moab and uh, Judah, except there were also wars, disputes and all that. So it was a funny place to go to. But if you're desperate and starving, then from Bethlehem to Moab might seem like a good move. So Naomi has been in Moab about 10 years And she's lost the three closest males to her through death. She's lost her husband, Elimelech. She's lost her two sons, Marlon and Killon. The only family left to Naomi are Orpah and Ruth, her Moabite daughters-in-law. And as you'll see as we go through uh, this passage, Naomi is at a very low ebb. There's a mixture of lovely, caring, really good stuff in her character, the way she treats her daughters in law. But there's also a huge bitterness and anger directed at God. So Naomi has a big decision to make. How am I going to cope? A single widow with two Moabite granddaughters, how is she going to cope? She's totally distraught. Her life no longer seems to have a purpose. And also, you know, what is the future in a place like Moab? No friends of of the Jews normally. Uh, It's been described by one commentator, um, the Moabites. They've been described as, I love this, the hillbilly cousins of the Israelites. They were kind of close, but seen as an odd lot. And for Naomi to be stuck in a country with uh, hillbilly cousins... Uh, really maybe was uh, something she had to think about, and she did. There have been fraught relations for years, and Moab, Naomi comes to realise, is no place for her, a Jewish widow with no males to protect her, no certainty about what's going to happen to her family in the future. So in today's 17 verses, and thank you, Elaine, for that, we hear how in her desolation and her anger towards God, Naomi makes another huge decision, this time without her husband. And her decision is, after 10 years, to return home in verse 6. Uh, you see that. But we'll perhaps leave the map now and head towards the verses as we just work through this fairly quickly. Home to Naomi is still Bethlehem. That's very interesting. She obviously still feels a bit of an exile. She's had food, she's kept herself alive and all that by moving to Moab, but it's not really her home. So, having lost the three closest male relatives, she decides to head back to Bethlehem. Only 60 miles or so, but on foot, a lone woman, or a lone woman with two daughters-in-law, let's see. There is some hope in this beginning. Let's not be too critical of Naomi, Uh, If we'd gone through her experiences, I think we might be bitter, we'd certainly be distraught, and we'd be fearful. But there's hope, because she doesn't sort of just blame God. She actually keeps thinking of him, talking to him, complaining, whinging, whatever. That's good, in the sense that she knows he's there. She doesn't understand what's happened to her, and how he could have allowed it to happen. So in all of this, in all her despair, Naomi knows that God is there. It's a bit like in the Psalms where the psalmist, often David, would be complaining to God about uh, the enemies doing better and undeservedly so. But with Naomi, she knows that God is there too. And he listens. And with God, there is always hope, as we shall see. So her big question was, to go or not to go? She decides to go. She's on her way back to Bethlehem, around 1100 or so before the birth of Jesus. And interestingly, she takes her two daughters-in-law with her on this journey. So they set off, the three of them. And then, for some reason, Naomi stops. And she seems to be putting her daughters-in-law first not her own emotions and she begins to try and persuade them to leave her on her own middle-aged probably to head off uh, along the river valley up the mountain back into judah and it seems that she's doing it because she really cares for them they have been good uh, daughters-in-law to her normally daughters-in-law in ancient times like this were really servants to the, to the widow. They were not uh, anything more than that. Everything that mattered was through the male line. But we see here that Naomi does not treat them as servants who were there simply to do her bidding. So she stops. She blesses them. And then she has a real go at them to make them leave her. She definitely thinks that is the right thing to do for them. And actually, let's not be unfair to Orpah, the granddaughter who ultimately, after lots of weeping, turns back and goes back to her own people in Moab. Because Naomi really had pushed hard about their lack of prospects if they carried on with her. There was no hope for them at that point in Judah. Naomi appreciates them, the sacrifice they're willing to make for her to leave their own country, leave their own families and go with their mother-in-law with very few prospects uh, in the future, except they've heard there's a good harvest in Bethlehem. So Naomi finally does persuade Orpah and Orpah turns back. Naomi has a problem though, she has a rather stubborn daughter-in-law in the form of Ruth and Ruth simply refuses to turn back in verse 13 uh, we see the essence of naomi's feelings at this point the lord's hand has gone out against me she's saying go back home the lord's been against me he's picking on me there's no prospects staying with me but naomi cannot shake ruth off ruth clung to her and there's that total loyalty there real love and a determination to do the right thing it's been said that Ruth's response if we look at verses 16 to 18 is one of the loveliest expressions of love in the whole bible and as I look at look at it I think well am I like this with people close to me uh, am I like this with Jesus, who I call my Lord? And we see Ruth's words, verse 16 onwards. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. And she goes on to commit herself to die in this place she's never been to before, in her mother-in-law's home village of Bethlehem. So amazing. Um, But actually, I don't think the Lord asks anything less of you and me that we should be prepared like Ruth to really cling to what is right, to show the love that we should be showing to those around us and above all, to acknowledge the Lord as the one we're going to be with and who we're going to follow. There is a lifelong commitment here from Ruth to Naomi's God and to her people. And it's not just Ruth's great love for Naomi, her admiration for her or her sorrow for her, her compassion. It's her faith in Naomi's God. She doesn't want to go back to the gods of Moab. She has learnt of Naomi's God, the one true God, the God of Israel, and she's going to go with him. I'm just going to pop into the New Testament for a, a moment. Jesus made it very clear to his disciples that following him did involve self-sacrifice. It involved not just having a fun time, moving into a, a lifetime of blessings, going to heaven and, and everything's lovey-dovey and easy and wonderful. Last week when when Tom spoke, it was quite clear that We're all on a journey, and there's going to be really tough times for all of us. God doesn't save us from what other people have to cope with, bereavements, upsets, difficulties, and so on. And this is what Jesus said to his disciples, Matthew 10. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Belonging to Jesus is about giving up anything else that might get in the way of that relationship. It is truly denying ourselves and putting him first. And can we this morning, each one of us say, that is the depth of our discipleship. That's how we behave towards our Lord. I suspect none of us can calmly say to ourselves, yeah, I'm doing fine. I've got it absolutely right. There's a challenge here for all of us. Now, it does seem from this passage, it's difficult to argue from silence. But Naomi doesn't seem to be totally grateful. She ultimately just gives up on trying to persuade this stubborn daughter-in-law who won't leave her but we don't get any thanks we don't see any gratitude in particular she just walks on with Ruth I think Ruth is actually I'm sorry Naomi is really quite self-obsessed we're like that when we're very ill or when we're uh, really feeling bad and that life's difficult we get a bit um, focused just on us we become quite selfish I think Naomi was in that place although she had actually done Try to do the right thing by her daughter's-in-law. Selfless love like Ruth's doesn't insist on gratitude. As shown by Jesus, it just keeps on loving. It took Jesus to the cross. It will take Ruth with Naomi to all that's going to come when she goes back to her home village. So we get the arrival, the last few verses of this passage. We have the two widows. I don't know if they were dressed in black uh, but they stagger into Bethlehem, probably quite tired, quite exhausted, and they caused quite a stir. Uh, the Hebrew for all this is that, uh, that the town sort of echoed in excitement. There was a buzz. Wow, is that really Naomi? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm not sure whether it was like the prodigal son. Uh, great rejoicing, Naomi, the prodigal, has come back home having deserted us and gone to Moab. Or whether it was chit-chat and gossip, goodness, doesn't she look old? Or, you know, who's this with her? Who's this young woman who's come with her? Uh, We don't know. But there was certainly a lot of noise. Uh, Her return was noticed. And what does Naomi do? Well, she actually uh, greets her ex-friends, her remaining relatives, perhaps, in, in Bethlehem. And she's pretty stroppy and unpleasant, really. She says, don't call me Naomi the name means lovely or pleasant and she tells them no that's not the way i am at the moment and so she she doesn't greet them with a warm great to see you all again kind of approach she says no call me bitter she's just not her usual self and who would be in her position she's got a lot to moan about or be sad about where is god in all this well naomi's got all this unresolved grief and bitterness but she does know that God is there to be moaned at and she's going to keep doing that. And so she's sharing all this negativity. Call me Mara, bitter. She does feel genuinely bitter that God has deserted her. However, if you think about her decision to go to Moab with Elimelech before and what's happening now, you're beginning to get an inkling, I think, that this big decision to return to Bethlehem is certainly the right one. When we read the rest of Ruth, we will see how true that's going to become. She'd also done the best thing by Ruth, who is going to become a very important person, although she's quiet, she's humble, and she's very much in the background here. But Naomi's decision is the right one, and she knows God is there, so she has got hope of restoration and redemption. So because of all this, In spite of bad-mouthing God, Naomi's decision to return home will actually be a great blessing to her people directly through Ruth. More of that next week and beyond. Naomi may feel that God has brought her back empty. That's how she feels. It's probably how her material circumstances are as well. But she is totally wrong. Standing next to her, Is Ruth. Her loyal, loving, really special daughter in law has promised to give her life to Naomi, to stay with her until death and to be with her people. And Naomi is not acknowledging it here. She's come back empty, she's got nothing. In her sadness, she cannot see the fullness of the blessing that she has in in the form of Ruth. Did Naomi's failure to acknowledge Ruth, to introduce her to her old friends, uh, really cause any lasting damage? I don't think so. But it must have really been quite upsetting for Ruth to be ignored. I've come back with nothing, says Naomi. And there's Ruth next to her, this special blessing that God has given to her. Jesus must have felt exactly the same way when the disciples deserted him when he had to walk that lonely road with his cross to his death on Calvary. No acknowledgement at that point from anybody. And many of the disciples sort of disappeared for a while. They deserted him. I just want to deal with this final strange bit about names. There's a lot about names here. Naomi's emphasis on names is interesting. And it made me think, Does that kind of imply that this is just a beautifully rounded story, one of the best bits of Hebrew literature, a lovely story we can all really just feel great about? Or is it actually history? Is it like John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, where everybody's got a rather obvious name relating to some sort of spiritual truth? The answer is no. This is not just a lovely work of Hebrew literature. It's actually about... A lot more, and I think as we go through the book, we will see that whilst the book was written hundreds of years after the events it describes, the writer of Ruth had access, probably, I would guess, to royal archives or state archives or the Bethlehem record officers' stuff, and we are talking about people who had real names, which happened to describe their characters. I'm going to explain what Ruth's name means now, but not before I declare an interest. Uh, When Barbara and I had our first child in 1983, what do we call her? Ruth. Why? Not because Barbara's nana, her gran, was called Ruth, though that was very nice. We called her Ruth because of what the name means. And it means several things. Vision of beauty. Grace of God compassionate friend companion just so appropriate to the way ruth supported naomi but this is not as i've said just a symbolic book where everything is all tied up a sort of literary effort. it is about actual people and as i've said probably based on actual records from the time so in conclusion so far It's been a bit grim, hasn't it? There have been some lovely bits today, but there's this horrendous sadness that Naomi's brought with her, her bitterness to God. We've had glimpses of God's constant love and his presence. We've had echoes of Jesus' self-sacrificial love. In Ruth's loyalty to Naomi and her lifelong commitment, we see that real love is about doing things that are not necessarily In our human best interests, they're putting the other person absolutely first, not what would be best for us. Above all, Ruth's clear faith in Yahweh, the one true God, reveals that irrespective of upbringing, nationality and the world's expectations, God's love and acceptance is available to all, even Moabite's. To everyone. Uh, As with Queen Esther, the only other starring female in in a Bible uh, story, Ruth's life is an admirable female witness to the one true God. And it's quite radical, it's quite revolutionary. It shows that men, the powerful, and the noticed, are no more important to God or the church than women. The humble and the unknown, who give their lives day to day to serve the Lord. There's no pecking order with God that puts men first, as he was in this society. The well known ahead of others, and the humble just, you know, they they go out and deal with what's going on in the fields. It's quite a revolutionary book, this. It shows that the way God wants us to be is quite different. He is a God who deals equally through his love for all of us. And our human positions are not really what matters. It's how we relate to him. Finally, I'm going to end on a positive note. Final verse today. We read that when they were arriving in Bethlehem, the barley harvest was beginning. And there's going to be a lot of lovely, positive stuff coming in There's going to be a good harvest. There's going to be things going on in people's lives. And maybe Naomi is actually going to turn around from her grief and her helplessness. And Ruth is going to come to the fore too. That's next week and beyond. Amen.